This show has become so 24-esque. It is one cut to black with a clock in the background away from jumping the shark here on Vidra, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Boy, I'm exhausted. That was a lot of story for one episode. (laughs) I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Enterprise are we referring to right now? We're watching Season 3, Episode 23, Countdown, first aired 19th of May, 2004, written by Andre Baramis and Chris Black, directed by none other than Robert Duncan McNeil, which I believe this is his last directorial job for Enterprise, and therefore the rest of Berman era Star Trek. But man, what a fucking banger to go out on. They certainly gave him a lot to do. He did. My it, God. And I went into this knowing like, OK, this is going to be a, a Robert Duncan McNeil. What style am I seeing? Is there any real takeaway in the past? We've said like, you know, you take your average uh, David Livingston and then you hold that up against something McNeil did. And it seems like there's a little bit more pop. There's a little bit more. uh presence on the screen there's more coming out of the actors he energizes them and i don't know if i could say i saw that necessarily just so much motion this is a moving picture at all times there's no still shots there's no chance to catch your breath uh this almost bordered on being exhausting to watch but in a great way yeah like it's fast paced i mean it is it is moving every second of this is thick uh there's like two scenes i think i can point to where they even take a second and they're you know very emotionally based other than that it's go 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 but hey you're they're almost done this is the second to last episode of the season like we got we'll wrap it up let's go (laughs) like we got plot lines but for real though man there's no fat on this thing it's like if you took season one and you distilled an entire season down to one episode and made it a good episode. It's this thing. Like it. It's crazy. It's it's cra- and there's points. You by doubted. The end, you doubted that this show could get good. So how I'm not sh- even talking. About, I'm not even talking <laughs> plot. I'm just saying I'm impressed that they made the episode feel as long as it did. Because by the time the Death Star goes into the boom tube, I figured that was the end of the episode. And there was still another like eight or 10 minutes to go of like legit content. So it took a while before I was able and able to start generating notes because I was just absorbed by what I was seeing and what was going on. And this kind of it's raised concerns for me for our future with deep space nine, because our fear has been that if we watch a show that is too good, it's going to be hard to generate good podcast content. And I think that that's the point we're at right now where wherever Deep Space Nine starts getting for real, for real, it has to be somewhat on par with what we're seeing here. Like this is this is great TV. So I want to see how this podcast goes and and what our our end product looks like, because there's nothing to joke about here. Or I don't know, maybe there's a little we'll we'll find some things to joke about here. I'm I'm quite confident, but Yes, I've always had a sort of guarded opinion of us reviewing DS9. I mean, we're going to definitely do it um, and and be not afraid if you are one of our regular listeners. We're not 
we're not shirking from our duty to to finish what we started. But Unless the aliens present themselves and like there's a yeah, cool chance to see the galaxy. We're all done. We're all done anyway. So you know, or they just, kill us. Yeah, I was yeah. saying it'd be like a, like a cool trip around the galaxy. And oh, like, that would be nice. I would yeah. like that to go um, to the slave colonies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if as long as they're nice, right? If they're nice slave colonies, I don't want to go to the Westworld slave colony. The quality of the show gives us different things to talk about. I think do people do like it when we dig deep? You know, one of the things we consistently hear from our listeners is that the rewrites are their favorite parts. Sometimes those rewrites are funny. A lot of times, though, those rewrites are are very serious, very dramatic. So I'm not I'm not concerned about content, although the tone of the show might change. Because like you said, this is thick. There's so much I want to talk about Um, the characters, the villains. um, Tremendous amount of material here to dissect. But the first thing I need to bring up to you, Peter, is that we have failed. We have failed in a material way about one of our favorites. Who's our, I mean, who was our favorite Voyager character over the course of the whole run? Who was always there for us? Who was always, no, no, Neelix was bad in season one. Okay. Always there for us. Always there for us. No. Who was from the very first episode to the very last there was one man who was a consistent smoldering, smoldering presence. Yes, smoldering catcher guy. Right? Uh, listen, man, you're telling me you're putting smoldering catcher above the EMH minus virtuoso, which was quite the black mark on. Yeah. Uh, there was no there was never a virtuoso that held down smoldering catcher guy. True. When we were referring to Ensign Ayala, a background character from Voyager who was played by this, well, smoldering gentleman who wore cutcher gear when he was doing his Maquis thing, and it was really ridiculous. Did you know that we've seen him multiple times in Enterprise and have not caught it? What? Yes. He was one of the uh, Desert Lacrosse players and Desert Crossing. Okay. Forgivable, right? Forgivable. I thought we called that one out. He's shown up four times in season three. And we didn't know. You know why? Don't tell me he's a Zindi. He is. Oh, no. He's the Zindi insectoid stand-in for the CGI. So they had him. There's a picture of it on his memory alpha page in the super basic CGI outfit. And he was the guy who had to act out being the insectoid when they were doing the scenes. This guy. Well, first of all, he looks great. Does. Second of all, he can hold down a scene just being a background dude. Like, he's got a good presence for camera. We know he's a team player, right? Yeah. That's how these uh, background actors get time is they're there for work. They don't piss the directors off. You're going to regulate this guy to being a fucking CGI puppet when this season specifically where all the Zindi reptilian dudes show up You've got fucking Makos, which if Space Commando isn't a role made specifically for Smoldering Catcher, I don't know what is. Yeah, what a perfect job to have given him all season to be the heavy in the background who occasionally shoots at things. And especially because it'd be so ironic to be like, this is ridiculous. You know, uh, I know this guy from Voyager. He was always the guy waiting in the back to punch somebody. And now they got him here. Like... That could have been our Cardassian hallway of this show. How infuriating to squander the potential 
a smoldering catcher. Yeah. He could have Hopefully. been his own character's great grandparent. Yeah. And could have established in universe continuity of Ayala's Starfleet service, all the way back to being on the NX01. There could have been a whole book written about how, you know, he he went into Starfleet. Speaking of rewrites. Out. Speaking of rewrites. There it is. So Smoldering Catcher's great grandfather, they could have established through this season, was a raging xenophobe who was just that Mako that was ready to. Uh, tell you that the only good bug is a dead bug and how, you know, he's going to flay these lizards and fry them up like gators. Maybe Ayala is actually Cajun. Who knows? Right. And he could have really just gone so hard on fighting these guys that it becomes a concern at some point uh, that his bloodline will have a hard time meshing with aliens, which could have led to his great, great, great grandson, who was also a participant of Starfleet quitting Starfleet over Cardassian stuff because he wanted to continue fighting Cardassians, thus ending up in the Maquis. Yes. The Squadron, blah, blah. The, the Ayala family could have just been too hard, too uncivilized, too murderous to remain within the Federation shackles. We could have seen the origin story of that. Um, Jonathan, as you flesh out the rest of season eight for Voyager. Yes. JK. Feel free to, uh, rub this one in that uh, Ayala's <laughs> if fucking Garrett and Robert Duncan McDeal are going to talk out of their asses to what they think season eight should have been. You are well within your bounds to retcon one of these Mako dudes as uh, Ayala's great, great, whatever, how many great. He, I will say that JK did a fantastic job of giving Ayala a really like great scene as he left. Of like he lived had this great life waiting for him, <laughs> you know. Like he got to leave. He's going to visit his family. He's just happy to be home. It was great, but it could be better by having be, yeah. him go home, and they could discuss the rich history of Starfleet service and and predating that Mako uh, service and alien murder. Yeah, you can have that one for free. Yeah, that's we're 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 giving them up here. I'm divorcing myself of any sort of intellectual rights off of uh, other people's characters. Speaking of aliens, you want to murder though? Hoshi, she's in the teaser and she has a terrible time. This episode, this is not a fun one for Hoshi. She is where you don't want to be. She is captured on a reptilian ship with this guy Dolem. Who has murdered his own grandchildren? Just past. stabbed Degra and said how he was going to murder Degra's kids. And as we had sussed out last episode, Hoshi is on the ship because Dolem's plan to be able to launch the Zindi Death Star is to crack one of the codes. And who better than the uh, linguistic genius who's great at ciphers? And uh, you know, to to Hoshi's credit. She is very she she keeps it real real uh, over the course of this to the degree that she can. She cooperates now, not an inch. Props to Dolan. Uh, what a great leader to recognize talent as quickly as he did. You know, on top of being a ruthless, vicious motherfucker, he is uh, great from an HR standpoint in terms of recruitment. Maybe not for retention. <laughs> <laughs> she's in this interrogation chamber laying on the floor. He comes in, you know, creepy pseudo rapey vibes touching her face. You're going to work for me. You're going to crack the codes. 
you're going to be the reason why the Death Star is able to eliminate humanity. Neither you can work with us or I'm going to pump fucking parasites into your brain. They're going to eat your shit until uh, you're like drooling from the mouth and doing what I tell you to do. He slaps her around a little bit. Major points off for her. And granted, she was under possession of a space ghost. So maybe she doesn't have. I don't know. Do they remember during the space ghost episode what they were doing? No, because their consciousness was transported somewhere else. Correct. They were dreaming of ponies and hanging out with their old girlfriends at the pool. Still, I know it's within her physical ability to lay on the floor and bicycle kick aliens in the dick. She did it to Fox. <laughs> if only she had done it to Reptile. I mean, we could have had our second Mortal Kombat episode for the series. Katana versus Reptile. Fight! She fights, and then they trap her in this torture dentist chair and come over with like a fucking hot glue gun to burn some worms into her head. And then we go bring the surgeons, get the brain parasites, pin, torture, screaming, space banjo, been a long time. (laughs) The music has never been more jarring, both with the lead in off of her getting worms shot into her fucking skull. And then she she screams bloody murder too. like really goes for like the oh, this is the most horrific pain I've ever felt. I need to make you feel it. Yeah. And then like I forget where the episode ends exactly. Uh, But again, you know, here comes impending doom. That fucking perfect strangers. (laughs) uh, Soft jazz outro they have. Could you imagine cousin Balky on the Enterprise? Yeah, I mean, he's got a Brett Spiner vibe, right? He could be a uh, he could be some sort of uh, Nunyan Singh relative, right? Yeah, you're right. You could be Nunyan Singh's like dumb cousin. I'll do you. I'll do you one better. Right. Let's keep it real. Uh, no. No sweeping gestures of your mind's eye. Let's go ahead and just drop him in as a uh, late season Voyager additional cue. OK, like. He's just gone completely over the hill, right? No, like, just just another just silly, now. just another silly cue to get in and fuck around on screen and run that legacy into the trash. I don't know. Q2. It, it, when when you're an actor so bad, you decide that you want to become a diplomat so that no one will ever see you on screen ever again. That's that's the level of acting we ultimately got with cues. So. Uh, did you catch the Langoliers? No. Stephen King's Langoliers, it was a made-for-TV movie. That's the one where basically the plane flies out of time, and once you've passed the present, Langoliers eat the past. So this terrible CG, it looks like flying turds are eating reality in this. Like anything Stephen King, it starts great, and then it's complete garbage by the end. But anyways, uh, Brandon Pinshot was this rich yuppie exec that was caught on the plane who goes crazy. Uh, and that dude actually does a nice job selling. Um, I'm rich and privileged and empowered. And ultimately I've given up on life and I'm languish. Like I, he actually would have been a pretty cool. I want to die. Cute. That's, that's not a terrible idea. I would do that. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Never heard of that. Not worth your time. But it might be worth a podcast. I don't know. No, those things are like fucking eight made for TV episodes. That That's a long. Maybe when we're in the retirement home, we'll look that one up. <laughs> what do you think the oldest podcast is out there? 
Like the oldest? Like the one that's been going on the longest? No, like the oldest hosts. Oh, there's got to be some ancient boomers doing podcasts somewhere. Like some tech-savvy boomer somewhere. Some Not boomers, man. I'm talking like some fucking World War II talking about the shit. I don't know. All right. Here, let, this is a great episode. We need to get into it. So she got, is about to get worms in her head and then space banjo. And then we cut back over to. I don't even know what, man. I didn't take fucking notes. I was just swept <clears throat> up by the great pacing. I forgot I was doing a podcast. I thought I was just joy watching. <laughs> so uh, they collect the shuttle pot that went and uh, collected the thing from the sphere. And we get caught up. The, all the characters get caught up with each other. Like what happened here? Um you know, the insectoids and the reptilians stole the Death Star. What happened with you? No uh, mention we, of Degra. That, that sucks, man. I thought you were a homie's trip. Come on. This We've got this sphere brain. We need to analyze it immediately. And that's when we get Major Hayes. Major Hayes shows up, comes down with the shuttle pod, looking around for his guy. Corporal Hawkins, the dude whose terrible acting shields went down last week. Ripped to him. Yeah. Uh, and is like, uh, where's, Lieutenant, where, where's Corporal Hawkins? And Reed has to say... Yeah, he's dead. He got he got got by the fucking security system. This thing we stole, and uh, you know, as we've seen all season, Hayes Hayes just does not like that Reed keeps getting his dudes killed. <laughs> he's not a fan. He's like, there's a lot of KIA on the missions you go on, man. Like yeah, my guys too. Like, let's talk about this. Your whole thing is that we're great makos, but we're not really space marines. But your security force has more experience in space, which would mean wearing spacesuits. You got a spacesuit mission, which would have been great for one of your dudes. But for some fucking reason, you brought my guy. And once you know it, he's dead. Now, Hayes isn't like outwardly shitty. But he is He's professionally uh, shitty, which is always has been his M.O. for most of the season. And it's why we like him more. Right. Like he Stephen Culp plays a military officer better. He plays the character Reed should be. Bottom line. And when they're on screen together, the note it's very noticeable how much better Culp is at playing the kind of character Reed is ultimately supposed to be because Reed sucks. I, don't I also feel it. like Culp being there doing the military thing makes... Uh, what's Reed's actor's name? Dominic Keating. Makes Keating aware of his own shortcomings. Yeah. Like he almost gets defensive as an actor. And I feel like it. he starts overcompensating his portrayal of Reed and it gets worse. Again, this guy is not a bad actor and he, I don't think, is necessarily a bad screen presence. It's the wrong fit. He should have been a science officer. I said that in season two and I'm going to say it again here. This was a bad casting decision. This character does not work. This The character works in a different role. Put Reed as a person with Reed's background as a science officer that got displaced by DePaul. Great. Expecting me to believe that this guy is some sort of a military professional. Ridiculous. Uh, and it probably has a lot to do with the fact Cult played that guy on Jag for as long as he did. Because that's like how he got famous. He was like a semi-regular or regular character on JAG. He played like a military officer consistently for years. So he knows how to do that on a performance level. Dominic Keating's just some fucking British stage actor, right? Like he doesn't know. And you put them two together and it's just like, well, someone's got to figure it out and someone doesn't. Meanwhile, 
while they are trying to begin uh, analyzing the sphere brain on the ship, we find out that Archer has flown back down to the surface of the avian outpost where the Zindi Council of Doom had been meeting. Uh, and he is now going to meet up with what remains of his ally base in the wake of Degra's death. And that is the other Zindi primate who I believe you said uh, self-named himself as Deepak. Correct. The Arboreal. Janar. Uh, Noticeably absent are anybody that requires CGI. No, we can keep that to a minimum. <laughs> Which, you know, they do bust out. This this is crazy CGI in this. Yeah. Well, this uh, got Nemi. This got Nemi for best effects that year. Yeah. So uh, the our aquatics, our SeaWorld guys, they are very slow to come to a decision. And this is to a detriment of uh, Archer's desires, but it's also a saving grace because we find out that their cautionary decision-making process almost thwarted the weapons creation in the first place. Uh, Their slow hand made them the suitable choice of who to build the weapon, thus keeping it out of uh, insectoid and reptilian design, at which point there would be no safeguards against it because we'll come to find out, or actually we already know, to fire the weapon to prime the Death Star, you need to have three of the five codes present. And they've got the insectoid, they've got the reptilian, but that's it. And uh, Deepak seems pretty content to just let things chill out. He said that Hoshi got kidnapped, but it's not the end of the world, or so he thinks. Archer determines relatively fast. In fact, I think in that conversation, like, oh, no, they stole Hoshi because they intend to crack the code. We don't have a lot of time. We need to convince the SeaWorld people to back our play because as they assess the tactical circumstances, um, the avian and primate ships are just don't have enough juice to take on the insectoids and the reptilians. It kind of goes back to some of the stuff we talked about last week. Each of these races has like a focus, something they're good at. And the avian or rather the arboreals, uh, they tend to be pretty chill. They're not warlike. The primates are more scientific. Neither of them are really down in the fight on even terms. But those rich ass <laughs> um, uh, uh, SeaWorld people, they are uh, they have apparently the shit hot starships <laughs> of the Zindi race. They got these giant, you know, floating tanks <laughs> that also apparently have the best weapons. Listen, when you have to launch an entire swimming pool into space, you're going to come out with great engines. And also, you need to have pretty good hulls so all your space juices don't float out into space. And that gives you good armor. And And, I don't know, I guess it's buy two, get one free. So you get the the good guns as well. Uh, And it does uh, to the design department what they hate. And that's force them to actually make some new starships. You can't just fucking re-roll some old... uh, Klingassian warbirds or whatever and throw those take a up second up. to talk about the Zindi ship designs though great job making them look like their race as well you know you've got uh, the the reptilian ships look like they have scales the insectoid ships look like they have bug stocks uh, it's all subtle though you know the amphibian ships are much bigger and they have more like sort Swoopies. of flowing, swoopy flowing design the primate ship is kind of utilitarian and the uh, arboreal ship has got a kind of big sort of swooping wings. Um, so I like it. I like that they 
made the design aesthetic match the overall design of the characters. And if nothing else, it's helpful for these space fights so you can just see who exactly is doing what. Yeah, it does actually make it more uh, easier to follow, I'll say. Not necessarily easy, but you can see what's going on. Archer ultimately makes his pitch to the uh, aquatics who have apparently learned how to use speak and spell. And so they're talking to him finally. And uh, he ultimately convinces them to back his play by saying they have figured out a way to destroy the sphere network, which is what T'Pol and Trip are working on. The Zindi aren't stupid. The Zindi have to be aware of the space blob from Harbinger. Right. Uh, and Archer's key to this entire conversation is, you know, what what have the Guardians, a.k.a. the Sphere Builders, told you? And what are the questions that you should realistically have that you've never been able to get answers to? And why is it the Guardians haven't had anything to say about that stuff? And again, it's because the Guardians are the ones creating the problem, the dilemma. Uh, and to your perception, all of these spheres are invulnerable impenetrable facts of life. And now I have a way to destroy these fucking things. And that's an interesting proposition because either you can just destroy it scot-free and be done and be happy, or you can start getting rid of the space goo invasion and then potentially prompt these uh, guardians to be like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Stop. And you say, listen, this stuff's killing us. Why do you care if we're stopping it? Clearly you really are the cause of this and you are the bad guy after all. So uh, it's, it's a, it's enough value that when Archer says it, the sea world guys stop mid flick of their tail and turn around and go say, what? Yeah. I'm interested in what you have to say. And they don't spend much time emphasizing on, on it when it comes to reptilians and the insectoids, but they still touch on the fact that even they agree Archer is right. Like in, the insectoids explicitly at the end are like, oh, I guess Archer was probably right about them, huh? I'm thinking maybe we've been all we've been all fucked up here. Real quick, you're talking about right before uh, Dolem turns on him? Correct. Were you getting subtitles on the insectoid conversation? Yes. Oh, really? I did not see that. I was just going by what Dolan was saying, uh, my impression off of that was that the insectoids became aware that he stabbed Degra and that he was acting in bad faith. What We're jumping way ahead, but I don't want to forget about this. So what do they say there exactly? Uh, the insectoid counselor. Oh, that's the counselor? Yes, the counselor says, yeah, kind of crazy that those... Uh, those anomalies suddenly showed up and favored only us, right? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make Archer correct that the sphere builders are the guardians? They're the reason why all of this is happening. And Dolan tries to defend it by saying like, no, Hey, listen, Archer also started a civil war, you know, between the Zindi. And that's when the insectoid counselor says, yeah, uh, I think he was talking about Degra started the civil war with the Zindi. He was saying Archer did. And then Archer and then the insectoid counselor says Archer didn't kill Degra. You did to Dolan. I said, I'm sorry, you're the one who started the civil war. So the insectoids keeping a reel there at the end, a reel right at the end of like, 
I think you're the bad guy now. And that's why Dolan's like, well, it's a good thing I don't need you. <laughs> like, kablam. There is such a bad habit. If there's anything that I'm going to turn on season three and and kind of shit on, it is, this is, might as well just be a fucking horror movie uh, plot device. Not device, but like a horror movie flow chart. Whereas as soon as a character's problem is resolved. <laughs> yes. And it seems like someone has a chance to become good or happy. They instantly fucking die. <laughs> Degra. Spoiler alert. Hayes. Uh, the fucking the, the, the insectoid guy. Like, I'm afraid to see who else is going to fucking get it. Like, will be anybody say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, I was wrong. You were right. And I go. <laughs> Don't have too much personal growth on Enterprise. You will get killed. Yeah, I want to just say, um, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye. You were right about that thing, but I just want to let you know, I used your toothbrush to scrub my balls. Yeah, just never, put a little I'm, more tension in the room so you can I'm stay out I'm never going to say I was sorry about it. I kicked your dog, Archer. I kicked your fucking dog. Why would you do that? You see Porthos go... You know, like, oh, yeah. Uh, but Porthos what? looks at him like, dude, I know you're just saying you kicked me. So you, so the fucking event or not, the, the final destination Reaper can't come in and get you. The season three Grim Reaper can't get you for making peace. Uh, one, of the few, one of the few scenes we get in the episode that isn't just driving the plot forward is actually between Trip and T'Pol as they're working on, like, figuring out a way to blow up all the spheres. And T'Pol is being just a real bitch. <laughs> you know it's not trip's fault trip is like well that's not gonna work we'll just blow up the ship that won't work that'll also blow up the ship we gotta figure out something else and paul's getting real annoyed that he's being a negative nancy i'm like well maybe you'll come up with an idea huh how about that trip and uh he, he's had enough of her attitude at one point he goes like listen i don't know you just haven't had a chance to meditate i don't know what's bothering you but i'm gonna go to engineering and i'm not i'm not gonna put up with this anymore and that is when, for the very first time on all of Star Trek Enterprise, in order to get him to not leave, T'Pol says, Trip, says his name to get him to stop. And is like, I'm having problems and I'm going to need your help. You know, finally, like, finally crosses the bridge we've both been talking about. Like, only you can help me with this. Trip, I need to tell you something. But I need you to promise me that you won't get mad, slash, concerned, slash, snitched the captain or tell anybody else. Do you promise? Well, that's a lot of stipulations. Um, <laughs> How illegal is this thing you're about to tell me? Yeah, it's I very illegal. It you, is the you, most illegal thing. You didn't, like, kill somebody or steal some technology from an alien or... Any of this other stuff that we always do to, like, you know, break the prime directive. No, I've been doing space meth. I've been smoking the crack space crack rock. I'm a, I got a problem. I'm addicted to, to space crack. And yeah, uh, so real quick, would Trellium D protect against the uh, 
the space blob, or do you think that's too much anomaly for even the Trillium D to keep up with? It looks like it was too much anomaly for the Trillium D because yeah, 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 yeah. ships were all probably lined in it. They all got fucked up. I'd have to think they were lined in it. Yeah, and yeah. they got they got fucking wrecked. So yeah, her uh, her inclusion and the prevention of a D being applied on that would not have mattered. Uh, we get to see inside the Death Star, which is this wonderfully busy yet janky looking set piece. Uh, it's a kind of this big open chasm. It's hollow, but then there's all these like it's very bored QB, right? I yeah. think that's really what they're. It's, it's, it's dark classic, steel. It's the, green it's lights. Like, it's the classic Berman Aerotrek cheap set decoration stuff, like to a T, right? Mm-hmm. Everything you've seen since 1980, whatever, and TNG smoke. Oh yeah, dudes in little alcoves. Stuff from Spencer's computer, gift all over oh, the place. All over the place. I, you know, in fact, maybe that should have been our skit. Was uh. We have to make a second run to Spencer's gifts to decorate this set. Berman has to go up to Robert Duncan McNeil and say, listen, here we're going to do it right now. Robbie, uh, I saw your uh, workups for the inside of the Death Star. I'm very concerned about the lack of Spencer's gifts uh, knickknacks in there. Oh, I'm sorry. Is, did I not use enough pieces of flair? <laughs> yeah, Rob, Robbie, I, I don't yeah, know if you got I'm, the production notes. I'm sorry, we, boss. I'm sorry. I should have known. It's been a while since I've been on cast. You know, I've, That's how you as a cast. What, what you need to know about is we, Paramount, myself specifically, I own a lot of stock in Spencer's <laughs> gifts. And when we record oh, these episodes. Okay. I, I didn't know. I didn't know, sir. I'll make another run right away. I'll. You know what? Garrett's not doing anything. I'll just send him. He just he just goes and fetches my laundry anyway. Like that's all oh, he does. I, I figured at this point uh, Garrett was just working at one of those. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's not doing anything else from here. I don't guarantee you that. I, well, speaking of Asians, though, uh, freaking Hoshi is so metal. Is she has got brain parasites in her, and she is not only not cooperating, she has tricked the, the reptilian who is watching her into thinking that she is cooperating, and instead she's making it harder to launch the weapon. And then when she gets found out, she attempts to commit suicide by jumping off the railing. <laughs> like, you can't use me to crack the code if I'm fucking dead, and tries to seppuku herself immediately. Yeah, that's something I'm guessing that they don't really have to worry about with uh, Zindi primates is the obvious conclusion that I'll just fucking kill myself. So, yeah, maybe having my forced labor position be next to a bottomless pit. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm from the Enterprise. If there's one thing we know about, it's falling off fucking ledges. But whether it's the cargo bay or engineering or potentially even the bridge, if there is a banister, we will fall over that at the first opportunity. Uh, let's appreciate how far this character has come because she was a scaredy cat. She was, um, the space spider cocoon victims from, uh, was it called silence? Right. That's season one. When they find the ship of everybody all webbed up and their juices being drained out. Like I think it was the second episode of the whole fucking show, right? This is her fear, right? It's dying Mm -hmm. by alien hands. Uh, now she is being pressed into labor against her will. This is all terrifying. She didn't sign up for this. Her skills are potentially being used to bring about the end of the human race. She is successfully fighting it. She's bullshitting these guys. This is stuff I guess we kind of saw back in um, what was uh, Maggot Pop Tarts? 
I really only think of it as that now. <laughs> but, but when you go, when she went to the Phantom of the Opera Planet, right? Like, um, I guess we could have kind of seen the groundwork for this here if I wasn't too distracted by her hoving. And maybe at a certain level, she's mad that they abducted her before she was able to bring her collection of cocktail dresses to really sell the grift. <laughs> Why has the human cha- changed into this this small bandaid of a costume? <laughs> Why is she out of her uniform? She says she works better with her buttocks hanging out. Uh, But it's a real good look for her. And they figure out that she has not been helping and has, in fact, been making things worse after she fails to jump over the edge. And they drag her off to go get pumped full of more parasites. Yeah, there's a set. You don't see it. There's a second parasite wound on her head when they finally rescue her. It's like, oh, she has had the worst time. And really possibly have on Star Trek. Like, can you think of a character put in a worse situation than you have been kidnapped? Your skills will be, as you said, used to terminate the entire human race. They are putting parasites in your brain to rewire you long enough so that you'll cooperate. You have to fight them off, try to make it worse, and they get you with a second dose to finally get you to do it. I mean, I would say anybody who had to act opposite of Vorik, right? Oh, that too. Yeah, that was also like horrors beyond that, which I can describe. You're absolutely I would say, right. you know, that episode where Janeway got caught in hell, literally with a demon. Oh, yeah. The one, she it died like, her like dad? 100 times. Yeah, that was. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Now, there was a couple different ways she could have had this happen to her. Had she played ball, they would have just given her the, the brain parasites by having her eat Jenny's ice cream. Oh, God, is that a thing? Do you not know? So Jenny's ice no, cream. Was I don't like know a, about this. <laughs> oh, tell, tell, tell the world. I need to know this. Wouldn't it be something if we got? No, it's public. So there's this uh, fucking bullshit boutique ice cream place that got real big in Columbus called Jenny's ice cream. And everybody fell over themselves. A bunch of fucking soccer moms pretending to be foodies. And then they got like busted multiple times because their kitchen was dirty and they were giving people hysteria. Oh, Jesus. But by that point, it already caught on. So then they started having like a national kitchen make their stuff. And like all the people we know up in Chicago are all about it. And it's like a dead brand locally because everybody knows it's fucking Listeria. But it's real big, I guess, at uh, expensive ice cream place. Eh, whatever. That's, yeah, I mean, I've seen it. That's local. I've, I've actually seen it in like uh, grocery stores now. And it's like nine dollars a pint. I'm like, oh, yeah, God. it's fucking bullshit. Yeah. And it's always yeah, it's always like stupid flavors. That's yeah. why, like, just stupid gimmick flavors. Butt sweat and nail clippings. Oh, cool. Great. That's what I, was, what I wanted. People would line up in front of that place like a new iPhone was coming out back when people cared about that. Uh, so, no, yeah. Hoshi, real trooper in this episode. Agreed. And it is really fun to see that, you know, Hoshi has gone from the scaredy cat who feared dying in space to I am willing to sacrifice my life to save humanity and it's not close and I've got to be pulled literally off the edge that I'm trying to throw myself off of rather than permit it to happen so uh, she doesn't get a lot of dialogue but she gets a lot of things to do and that's neat Um, we cut back to the Zindi planet and the aquatics have shown up in relatively short order and said, okay, we'll throw in. Uh, but the deal is this, Archer. We will help you stop the weapon, but you have to blow up these spheres. If you've got a way to blow up these fucking spheres, that's your job. But let's go stop the weapon, and then we'll we'll square up. Pretty fair, right? Like, we'll stop the apocalypse on you. You stop the apocalypse on us. We walk away. 
not necessarily a completely fair trade because there's 7 million dead humans, but best possible outcome from this point forward. True. I also like the one bargaining point he threw in at the end of their initial one was, uh, did the sphere builders ever tell you where you guys are going to rebuild your home? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was like the the Delphi's expanse. You know that this place is going to be a fucking cesspool. Like, you know, I'm right. Um, the the conflict here is that they still haven't been able to come up with a way to really destroy these spheres without blowing Enterprise up in the process. And I like uh, Trip and Paul are like, well, you haven't made any hard promises on this yet. <laughs> or just like just stares at him. The fuck <laughs> do you mean I haven't made hard? I, I'm I'm the man who sold the world right now. All right. Like, I don't care. We're getting this shit done at all costs. Zero fucks to give. Find a way to make this shit happen. They decide to descend in mass on the sphere coming out through all of the different uh, um, the space buttholes. When does he do the when's the montage scene? Like the battle montage? No, like them getting ship prepped around the ship. I thought that was a really like one of the best. We're getting the ship ready for for the, the big showdown montages I've seen in a while. Yeah, they have a this kind of spot where they breathe a little bit, where they have the dinner scene. Yeah, and like the the we find out the galley's finally working, so Chef made steaks for everybody, and they're kind of like doing. They're like, okay, we're about to enter the the final battle to try and save humanity. You know, let's all kind of like chit chat about what we're going to do after we win. There's a funny joke where trips like after we get back, I'm going to buy drinks for everyone at Jupiter Station and he asks like what Topol's mission, you know, uh, future, you know, plans are. And then says, I will allow you to buy me a drink, Commander. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's a Vulcan flirting. I like it. <laughs> what are you going to do, Commander? Like <laughs> her, her drug trip. I'm going to eat your ass, Trip. Like what? what? <laughs> oh, it's a, too far. Too much. Boss is here. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> like, no, no. What are you going to do? just had a breakthrough a couple scenes ago, but no. <laughs> what are you going to do to celebrate to Paul? Oh, I'm going to smoke more Terrellium D. <laughs> <laughs> Once I'm home, I can just sit in my room, dark, well, listen to fucking Led Zeppelin and smoke crack rock. <laughs> that's, that's I'm going to go back to Vulcan with Trillium D, and I'm going to start a drug addiction, the likes of which the Vulcan society has never faced. Um, she uh, lays on the table that she is strongly considering formalizing her relationship with Starfleet, which would effectively make her potentially the first non-human member of Starfleet, unless someone's come on in the interim. So this is a big deal, right? This Mm -hmm. is a multi-racial Starfleet, uh, and it's what came first, a chicken or the egg, the utopian Starfleet or the utopian Federation. So we'll have to see what gets founded first here. And then there's a little joke. I can't wait to see Suval's face when, you know, you're in a uniform. Whatever. He probably don't thank God you respect yourself now. (laughs) They have the montage. The alarm goes off. It's time for battle. And when they have the fleet come out, it's guns blazing. Enterprise comes out of like the docking berth of one of the aquatic ships and it's great for again, adjusting for time period, adjusting that this is nearly 20 years old. Fantastic TV CGI. Uh, We have a big complex battle scene. You have a lot of kinetic, interesting things happening in the foreground and the background. You have a lot of different kinds of weapons fire. You've got ships blowing up in dynamic ways. 
uh, I'm going to jump back real quick before they get into it. Um, they did mention at this point, it's eight months since they've been in the expanse. So they're pushing almost a year here. There's also a follow-up between Reed and Hayes, which. Oh yeah. That's Hayes uh, saying I'm two days from retirement. <laughs> like it's Hayes. Hayes having that unfortunately too much character development. It's Hayes, unfortunately revealing that he is not his own character so much as a side quest for Reed's character. Uh, Hayes only exists as a problem to Reed that Reed needs to find a way to bridge the gap there. And they meet up and they say, hey, listen, we need to get prepped for this. Uh, There needs to be a raiding party. I want to go over and get it. And Hayes goes, no, you know, I think you need to be on the bridge. You are the tactical officer. We are badass space commandos. And that's where they kind of hash it out that to a certain level, Hayes feels like uh, Hawkins should have been under Hayes's watch and maybe he wouldn't have died. Uh, Reed saying, you know, I look after you guys as my own. And then Hayes saying, you know, when we came on, we felt like outsiders. But at this point, it doesn't matter what the uniforms are. This is one family. And by God, we're going to get her back. You can count on us. And I thought that was actually like some really good uh, character development for Reed for a change. I think him working through the trauma that they laid the groundwork on back in. Uh, yeah, last week council. in the council. Yeah, because he had that little outburst on He's the show. Fucking tired of people dying. Yeah. Like, OK, that's we're beyond 20 percent now. Like 30 percent, I think it was. Uh, and you haven't really seen him show any human emotions up to this point, right? Like good human emotions. He's had like lust. He's had creep. Uh, but mostly he's been a standoffish prick. And this is the first time he's like, I care about the general well-being of other people and the discomfort and death of others uh, is something that is bothering me and I'm going to lash out against it. And this is a nice catharsis there of like, all right, we're finally on the same page, which again is the fucking kiss of death for poor Major Hayes here. The battle's good. Can't say much else. They're they're throwing in, right? They're winning. They're winning the fight, right? The the uh, aquatics are making all the difference. These ships absolutely are the king shit of the Zindi race. They are manhandling the reptiles uh, without much of a problem. And the sphere builders finally decide they have to get involved if they're going to stop the timelines from arranging in such a way that the humans will be victorious. That's what they're saying. And they do that by activating all the spheres to send out enough anomalies into the battle to shield the Death Star so that they can get it launched because they have broken down uh, Hoshi's ability to resist them. Hoshi has armed the weapon uh, now that she got a second dose of the parasites and they are trying to get to Earth to finish this mission. I and liked uh, Dolan had the the uh, reptilian leader has a meeting with one of the sphere builders. Yeah. And even he's questioning the sphere builders genuineness as well. Like none of the Zindi races think these guys are on the level anymore. 
Well, he's like, listen, I need the third code. Well, you better get the code. And he's like, well, why don't you fucking tell me? Like, you you can go back in time. Just go back and see what their code is. And I'm assuming she's telling the truth when she says, like, we can only observe, like, major disturbances, big deals, like the generation of a code isn't, but, like, these points where we're interacting with you, like, the veil is thin enough that we can pierce it and come through and do this. So uh, their power is limited, and I can understand why they have avoided directly admitting as much to this point. Although, do they ever talk about like how exactly they built the spheres or transported the spheres over? No, um, but it all still fits together with kind of what we've heard about the circumstances of this whole plot, right? The sphere builders' whole scheme does not line up with the timeline that Space Zuck has relayed to Archer. Right. According to Agent Daniels. None of this is supposed to happen. The Zindi don't attack Earth. There is a war that we fight against these fear builders hundreds of years from this point in the timeline. And the Zindi are part of the Federation by then. But that this is not right. None of this is correct. Right. Because whatever they're doing is they can observe these changes in time. They can change the timeline. But because they exist outside of space and time. There's limitations to what they can do and how they can do it because they can't really interact with our universe effectively. I'm just saying I'm curious, like how they were able to take such a direct hand in our universe that they built these 48 or 53 or whatever spheres. Or like, was there another sucker race that they were able to like mold into like 100 years ago? Because that's when they said the I think, the, I think they're like forcing them through, you know, kind of like you get the little the tiny little pebble through. And then you, bring a, you start to like pierce at the veil and put get a little more pieces in and they start to connect together and you start to make the rip bigger and the tear bigger and he's kind of like yeah. slowly get it up on the seams like that that seems to be what they're doing and it's rippling through space time in such a way that the thing that should happen in the in the future is happening now because it doesn't conform to those rules so while the badass space battle is going on enterprise transports over the mako strike force of what four people yeah to one of the reptilian ships that has um five people and it has uh no you're right it's four makos and then hoshi yeah um yeah so four makos onto a reptilian ship where hoshi is being held captive and it's haze the lady who gets her ass kicked all the time, and then two di- two guys. We've seen these guys a lot. Uh, there's some cool Tonfa takedowns. Someone gets fucking like snapmared or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, some grenades are getting tossed around. Eventually, they find Hoshi. She's laying knocked out on the floor. They're too deep in the hull. They can't transport out. They got to go back to their extraction site. Unfortunately, uh, the sphere builders have decided to intervene. They've pumped uh, space garbage all over the place. There are some hellacious explosions. I loved watching the aquatic ship blow up and like all of the water tanks just crack and vent out into space. I'd like to see some space. And then freeze because it hits space. Yeah. Cool stuff. Brilliant. Incredible effect for the time. Enterprise gets dinked pretty hard enough to knock the transporter offline. Uh, So... Trip has to beam people out in two-man batches. He's got to clear the buffer. They get Hoshi out first. Then they get some more people. Then someone else gets shot. And by the end, it's Hayes there solo. 
And Hayes makes uh, the dumb rookie mistake of instead of staying in his fortified location, just waiting that extra two seconds, he's going to fall back around a corner where we get a pretty brutal shot of him getting shot right as he gets transported. And it's a nice subversion of expectation because usually when you get this scene, the guy beams over is like, oh, wow, man, I almost died. But uh, the beam had already passed through him as he was transporting. So he comes back in wounded and it is gruesome. Like you said, it's you think he's about to get away. The beam out is happening and they time it just right. That he gets tagged right before he dematerializes. And so he rematerializes with a gaping chest wound. <laughs> we see him in sick bay. We know what this is. Lights are low. Flox has got a real grim look on his face. Reed is there. He's coughing up blood. He's telling him, you know, I'm ready for duty. Put me back in, coach, you know, and he's asking, is, is Hoshi all right? Yeah, she's fine. You did your job. You did it well. All, you know, simplify. We did it <laughs> like, the you know, the Marines brought the captive home and, uh, you know, with his last breath, he's like, all right, Reed, this is the next person. This is the next man up to lead the team. Get the job done. And when then, he needed to be, it was like. I killed your mother. Like, wait, what? You killed my mom's dead and you killed her. Here's a whole new season four plot. You can live after all. <laughs> oh, the, the fib worked. Like, we got to interrogate <laughs> you now. <laughs> the defibrillator uh, effectiveness is directly correlational to the amount of uh, conflict and drama that could be generated by that person surviving. So we find out that after the Zindi Death Star has escaped, the only ship that can catch it is Dagra's ship because Dagra's ship is the only one fast enough to make up ground in the time in the space time butthole. So whatever they're going to do, it's no longer direct confrontation. They're just going to have to board it and try to blow it up from the inside. But meanwhile, Enterprise itself actually has to fulfill their other end of the bargain because the fucking amphibian or the aquatics are like, uh, we're the manatee people. We, we were promised destroyed spheres. Enterprise, go destroy the spheres. <laughs> like, it's what you promised. Go do it now. This is a very important scene. This is uh, real birth of the Federation shit here. Because now, this is the first time that we are seeing a legitimate cross-species extinction threat. Where the human captain of the Starfleet ship has to say is my world worth more than other people's world? And what does our diplomatic word mean? And I did, in fact, you know, promise to get this taken care of. There could have been some pushback. Like, hey, let's kill the Death Star first, like we were supposed to, and then we'll come back and do this. But the fact that Archer's willing to say, this thing's en route to go blow up my homeworld, but we are still going to make good on our, our promise, is a real big deal. Uh, they could have had like Trip or someone else be like, hey, here's pushback. We need to stay with it. And Archer come out and say, no, we need to be true to our word, this and that. But uh, it being an unspoken series of events, I think, was the better way to relay what's going on here, especially since it's all going to boil down to the same thing, which is catch up to the Death Star and blow it up from the inside, whether it's the Enterprise or, in fact, a faster ship. We can kill two birds with one stone here. And making it a matter of only Dagger's ship can go fast enough to get to the Death Star, 
does make for a nice clean sort of fact-based break here. Cause like now it's like, okay, well if the enterprise can't do anything here, it mm-hmm. might as well go solve the other problem. Right. 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 You know, like, okay, well let me grab some Marines. I'm going to go see if I can save earth. You guys clean up the rest of this mess and hopefully this works out. Now we got what? Eight, 10 Marines left. We're only going to bring three. <laughs> There's not, none of, none of our prior hotties are on the lineup right now. I guess they're, they're uh, presently wounded. And they're in the infirmary. They can't go on missions. Uh, so you know, no Israeli hottie, no chick with the see-through top. Yeah, no uh, Sonya Blade. Just, just dudes, right? Just the the dudiest dudes you've ever seen. Yeah, the Friday Night Lights guys here. Yeah, the t- the Texas offensive line is all that's left. <laughs> <laughs> and but there is re- a girl involved because uh, Archer goes over to sick bay and sees Hoshi and goes, "Well, how's she doing?" Oh, she's real bad. The I got the brain parasites out, but she's all fucked up. Well, she knows what the inside of the ship looks like. I need to talk to her. But Captain, we can't wake her up yet. And Archer looks and is like, since when do I care about anybody being in a bad position? Like, I've woken up every single person that has been laying on this table that you have said I shouldn't wake them up. And she dumped me, so fuck her. I, I, the fact that they're like, he, she can't be woken up for two hours. So it's like, cool, it's going to take us two hours to catch up. Put her on Degra's ship, take her out on a fucking stretcher, inform Reed how to wake her up. Like, that's the plan. You say two yeah. hours, we'll do it in the car. Put her in there. <laughs> Reed's a little wonderkind. He can do this. I like Flocks pushing to go, like, the the way he goes out of his way to show a preference for Hoshi. Yeah, and it so makes she's sense. his friend, right? Yeah, we've right. established that. It's uh, perhaps his best friend on the ship to the point where their friendship was able to survive uh, her bicycle kicking him in the dick. Right. And he's got like eight dicks. He, she got all of those dicks. She, uh, she smashed every single one of those. Um, Archer ultimately says, listen, half the ship is like on death's doorstep. You need to be here fucking doing first aid thing. Like this is this. This is the mission, man. Like. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be happy, but we got to do what we got to do. And right now you got to fucking set bones and put band-aids on here. They pick the three fucking people off the Mako team, which again, I think they'd bring everybody, but whatever. Woods, Romero and Forbes are the three that he picks, which are just great Marine names, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. those are the dudes. And they're, like I said, they're, they're the, starting three down linebackers. <laughs> like, I like that. Uh, Reed's first action in the wake of Hayes's death as he goes to assemble a team for the most important mission that any of them could have ever had was to immediately disregard Hayes's dying wish, which was to put McKenzie in a command role. <laughs> this fucking guy just doesn't learn. He's just a dick. <laughs> no, I will be in a command role. Or Mackenzie's hurt, right? Like with the with the uh, the hotties, mm. he's on the DL right now. Can't really Maybe. help. They're trying to catch up, and uh, then we jump over to Dolan on the Death Star, cruising along, trying to get the shit armed. Or no, they've already armed it at this point. Yeah, right? no, this is the end. We're at the end of the episode. They they take Hoshi. They get onto the ship. The Marines are there. Enterprise is going to go off and deal with uh, the spheres and that's it. 
get ready for the finale. And then that's where we have the conversation between what's apparently the uh, insectoid counselor and uh, Dolan where Dolan. Not uh, the insectoid counselor. Smoldering catcher counselor. Got to respect him right here at the end. Uh, no, because he gets punked and smoldering catcher does not get punked. Maybe that was a, <laughs> that was a stipulation like, hey, man, we got this character we want you to stand in for. Or we got a character we want you to play. And he's like, does it die? Does it get punked? And they're like, yes. And he's like, well, then you're not allowed to use my face. I'm contractually obligated to never lose or die. Uh, I got the same agent as Chuck Norris. And they're like, okay, well, here. You can be like uh, Jean Pond. You can be like Jean Claude Van Damme. You remember uh, Van Damme was actually a predator in Predator One, right? Yeah, and then she, he got fired <laughs> from that. Yeah, that first costume was miserable too. Very, uh, very. I don't know. It's poetic, but I mean that's some intense drama. Like at this point now, Dolan is full rogue. He's killed off his last ally, and in the process, I'm assuming other people saw what happened to some degree. So. He is, should have the entirety of the Zindi uh, population gunning for him. Yeah, and he's going all in to like complete this mission and declare himself president of all of the Zindi. And by the way, I have a super weapon, right? Like, that's the move. The move is it's mine now. I'm going to blow up the humans because I'm kind of all in on that one. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to assert my dominance over the rest of the Zindi race. And I would say there's a significant chance he might have a lieutenant waiting to put a knife in his back who recognizes that the uh, Guardians are the bad guys and no good for the reptilians either and that Dolan's off his rails and needs to go. So a lot of options on the table for a zero hour to to unfold here. Um, with the weapon on its way to Earth, Archer leads a small team to intercept it before it can strike. DePaul leads Enterprise on a mission to destroy one of the spheres in the expanse. And again, that's under the uh, belief that if they can knock out Sphere 41, it'll collapse the entire grid and render them all inert. Here we go. Season finale. It's all leading up to this. Uh-oh. Written by Rick Berman, Brand Braga. Can they hold it together? They hold it together. This is a banger. <laughs> And we'll see everyone next week for that banger. <laughs>